0: Please download it. Register. You'll need to do some small process to get registered on there when you do that. You don't have to add credit cards or anything like that. Um, Don't do that now. I don't want you all doing it now. And then, um, and ultimately you'll start getting, you'll get an invitation to a group from us. Okay? Praise God. I want to take a few minutes here today. And go through a few things in the word of the Lord. Then I'm going to turn it to Brother Flowers and he can pray, teach, preach a little longer. We'll just see what the Holy Ghost is doing today, okay? Amen. I'm glad you're here today. Cookie, it's good to see you. God bless you. Thank you. Praise God. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to move quickly. Uh. Genesis 1, verse number 1, says, In the beginning, I know we've heard this a few times the last few weeks, but here we are. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And I want you to notice the words here. And the Spirit, everybody say the spirit." Spirit. Say that again. The Spirit, notice it's with the capital S, that's the very Spirit of God. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Verse number three. And God said, Everybody say, God said. God said. So one more time, say that again. God said. All right. God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And then the book of John, chapter number one, and verse number one. Again, familiar passage of Scripture. The Lord just seems to have us here. John chapter number 1 and verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word. Everybody say "the the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. We had two things in the beginning. Clearly we had God. But we had two other elements that were introduced to us in Genesis 1, 1 through 3. And we see here in John 1 and 1 referencing the beginning. We have the Spirit of God and we have the Word of God. Spirit and Word, Spirit and Word, Spirit and Word. Okay, we have them from the beginning. Genesis is the book of beginnings. It's principles, principles established from the beginning. The Lord in the first three verses of Scripture revealed to us everything that is needed to keep us. His spirit and his word. They are critical to us. You and I cannot live a true life of relationship with God the way He intends, without Spirit, His Spirit, and Word, His Word. If you and I do not fellowship His Spirit, and we do not fellowship His Word consistently, we will fail. We will falter. Offense will find place in our life. Roots of bitterness will creep in. The only way to overcome these things, and we can overcome, is through fellowship of the Spirit and fellowship of the Word. We want it to be more complicated than that. We get this idea that we are complex beings and that therefore God has to do complex stuff. And I'm, I'm not minimizing things that we deal with and go through on our jobs, in our homes, in our families, in relationships. I'm not, I'm not minimizing those things. You understand that today. But the reality is everything you and I need is found in the beginning. The fellowship of His Spirit and the fellowship of His Word. Now, those things take place in the body of Christ, so you can't just dismiss the body. You can't make it on your own. But we must fellowship his spirit and word. Genesis 3, verse number 1. Again, we're going to move quickly here. Genesis 3, verse 1. Again, a verse you've heard recently. Now, the serpent was more subtle. Everybody say, more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, notice what the subtle beast said. He said, yea, hath God said. Hath God said. Here is the principle and the subtlety of Satan. Satan. When he speaks, he's lying. We read in the Gospels, he is a liar, he is the father of lies. In other words, lies are born with him. And this is the evidence of the birth of the lies with him. He is a father of lies. And the first thing he says, the subtlety of the enemy. And it's revealed to us in the beginning and he still works exactly the same way. It is subtlety and deception. And his deception is always to combat two things primarily. The spirit and the word. He wants to combat the spirit and the word. And so what did he do here? He says, hath God said. You see what he's doing? He's subtly planting doubt. And questioning whether God's word was true or whether they really heard the word of God or not. And the reality is he's finding out with Eve whether she knows the word of God or not. He's coming against the word of God because it is the word of God that will keep you and I from being deceived. Do you understand why Satan doesn't want you fellowshipping the word every day? Because if you're not fellowshipping the word every day, he can deceive you. He can bombard your mind. He can come against your spirit. He can get you to lay hold on things you ought not lay hold on. And the reason is because you have not fellowshipped the word of God. But if you and I will commit ourselves... To fellowshipping his spirit and fellowshipping his word, when the thoughts of the enemy would come, we can say, Satan, thus saith the Lord. You understand and you recall when Jesus Christ was tempted in the wilderness. Satan came to him and said this and this and this, and three separate times. The scripture is very clear when he was in the wilderness, he was full of the spirit, he was God in the flesh. And he was full of the Spirit. He was praying and fasting 40 days. I can't imagine being much more spiritual than you. How much more spiritual you can get when you're already full of the Spirit. And then you give yourself the prayer and fasting for 40 days. You want to talk about being in tune. Feeling like you've got some authority and power. And Satan came after those 40 days of prayer and fasting. Hear me today. I don't care how spiritual you and I may think or feel we are. Satan will come at any moment and seek to trip us up. And he's going to come against the Spirit and against the Word. He's a deceiver and he's looking for ways to subtly get you off track. And he does so through deception. Not bold faced deception, subtle deception. So he comes to the Lord and he tempts him three times and all three times the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Never once did he say, by the authority in me, never spoke that. He just simply said, Satan, it is written. The Word of God says. The Word of God says. The Word of God is true. The Word of God cannot lie. And He spoke the Word. And guess what? Satan cannot resist the Word. I'll never forget. Years ago, I was young, probably in, I might have still been in my late teens, maybe early twenties. I was praying one morning, or I don't even know if it was a morning, I was praying at the church one day, and uh, I think I must have not been married yet, because I had a ton of time on my hands, and I was... Didn't have anything else to do on my day off. And so this day, for whatever reason, it wasn't my pattern. I don't want to paint like I'm some super spiritual dude or something. I, but this day I was at the church and just shut into the church and was praying and talking to the Lord. And I, as I was praying there, I began to see a picture in my mind's eye. And I was walking down a hallway Coming to a pair of double doors that had glass windows on them. And as I walked up to these double doors, it was like it was like it was a it was very clean and sterile. Everything was white, there was no signs, no anything on the doors or the walls as I was walking down the hallway. And as I looked into the room through the glass windows, I saw just a pedestal in the middle of the room, and on the pedestal was a Bible. The word of God was sitting there. And I could tell. I, I didn't step into the room. I just looked through, and I could—I was looking, and I could tell from looking that someone had been giving themselves to studying the word and understanding the word, and discerning and going through the word. And this—this this book, it, you could tell, it had been deeply dug through and studied. And. It was just evident to me as I'm looking that this room was all it was for. They were, they were going in and using it to know every part of the word. To understand every part of the word. Every angle of the word. Every part. And, just, and I thought, my, my, my. This person must be a powerful and spiritual individual. That has given themselves. And in a moment. I saw someone come in the room. I never saw their face. I didn't see their figure. I just just saw a figure that came into that room and went to that pedestal to begin again to dig in to study the word of the Lord. And in that moment, I realized it was as the Lord illuminated to me. It was Satan that was studying the word. I was sort of shocked like you are. I was like, what in the world? What is that about? the reality was he would use the truth so he could twist it and his subtlety. You think he doesn't know the word? He knows the word. The scripture is very clear. Even the devils believe there's one God. Why do they believe that? Because the word says that and they know the word is true. And so You and I must give ourselves to the word of God. So the subtlety takes place. And we see it there. And Satan begins to say, Hath the Lord said, We must be people that give ourselves to the spirit and the word. If you just give yourself to the spirit, you will be deceived. Because you'll begin to fellowship familiar spirits, not discerning their source. So what gives you that balance and helps you determine the source? The word of God. And so you're in the word of God. We study the word of God. We read the word of God. We fellowship the word of God. And then it gives us discernment so we can tell the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The word of God. John 17 verses 6. John 17 and 6. I'm going to read just a few verses here. So, Brother Jeremiah, if you would just move with me as I go, that would be great. Jesus Christ is speaking. This is John 17. If you go back to John 14, he told his disciples, I'm going to pray for you. John 17 is him praying for them, fulfilling what he told them he would do in John 14. This is his prayer. This is the Lord's prayer. Verse number 6, Jesus said, he's speaking in prayer. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gave me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gave them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gave me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, And they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. But for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine. And all mine are thine and thine are mine. And I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world. But these are in the world. And I come to thee. Holy Father... Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. That's Judas, verse 13. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy. Notice what he says. These things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And I have given them thy word. You know, if you're keeping track, this is the third time he said that. I have given them thy word and the the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, watch. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The word sanctify there means to purify. To make holy. To consecrate them unto the Lord. That's what that word literally means in the Greek. To purify. To make holy. To consecrate unto the Lord. How's he going to do that? By truth. What is truth? Thy word is truth. The enemy's tactic is deception. The word is truth. The greatest Weapon against the enemy is the word because it's truth and it's directly opposing to his deception. This is why as children of God, we must have a relationship with the word of God. If you're just getting the word on Sunday and Wednesday, you're probably not going to make it. We got to fellowship the word. Verse 18. Two more verses here, 18 and nine. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. First John chapter 5, verse number 3. First John 5 and 3. So we see the word is truth. Remember what he gave us in the beginning? Spirit and word. The word is truth. He gave us what we need to overcome the efforts of the enemy. 1 John 5, number 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. That's his word. And his commandments are not grievous. Aren't you thankful for that? Verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our faith. Where does faith come from? Hearing. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. Verse five. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Notice verse six. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit. Everybody say, the Spirit. It is the Spirit that beareth witness. Why? Because the Spirit. What is the Spirit? The Spirit is what? Truth. What is the Word? Truth. The Spirit is truth. The Word is truth. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, the Spirit of God moved. Word and Spirit are truth. It's the reason why when you and I are baptized with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and we need to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Scripture says that His Spirit will lead us and guide us into all truth. What is that doing? It's giving us victory in the world to overcome the world and overcome Him who would seek to destroy us. It is a restoration of spiritual dominion in our lives. When we fellowship the spirit and we fellowship the word of God, we are fellowshipping truth. And in fellowshipping truth, we have dominion and authority over deception and all the works of the enemy. So the enemy would try to distract you to deter you from spending time in prayer, fellowship in his spirit, time in the word, fellowship in his word, because then he has avenue to bring deception which will lead to destruction. We must be people that fellowship the word and fellowship the spirit. It is our salvation. It is critical. We find and you don't have to go there. We find in Matthew 24 and 24, it's Jesus Christ was speaking of the last days. And he makes this statement. He said that there would be many Christs that would arise, false Christs that would come and they would do things and people would be deceived in the last days. And he makes this statement. Jesus Christ said, if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. Isn't that beautiful? You say, no, that's not beautiful. I don't want to be. No, no, you missed it. If it were possible. You know what that means? That means it's not possible for the very elect to be deceived. I don't have to fear deception. If it were possible, Jesus said, he could have just as well said, it will be impossible for the elect to be deceived. Why would it be impossible? Because I would submit to you the very elect are daily fellowshipping the Spirit. Daily fellowshipping the Word. And because of continual, ongoing fellowship with the Spirit and with the Word, it's impossible for the elect to be deceived. But the moment you and I drop our guard. That word there, it's it's interesting if you take the time and study it out. If possible. In the Greek, it literally means if possible. There was the power or the ability to do so. In other words. The enemy doesn't have the power. Or the ability or the might. To deceive the elect. That's the power of the word of God. And spirit of God. And the enemy of my soul and yours. Knows the only way to get deception in. To bring destruction. Is if I can get them not to spend time in the word. And in fellowship with the spirit of God. This is critical. Deceived. That word deceived there is to cause to stray, to lead astray, to lead aside from the right way, to go astray, to wander, to roam. To lead away from the truth, to lead into error, to deceive, to be led into error, to be led aside from the path of virtue, to go astray. That's the enemy's desire. But if you and I are fellowshipping the spirit and the word, Aren't you thankful for spirit and word? Last passage of Scripture Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. Ephesians 6 and 10. Finally, my brethren. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Let you should look at that verse right there. Why would you put on the whole armor of God? There's a reason why. That you may be able to, I want to stay right there for just a second. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil. What's the wiles of the devil? Isn't that a great word, the wiles? Sort of fun to say. That you may be able to... You put on the whole armor of God for a purpose. The reason you put on the whole armor of God is so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word wiles there, the Greek word is... I can't say... I don't speak Greek. Methodia or something like that. It's where we get our word method or methodology from. To stand against the wiles of the devil. But it literally means, very specific definition for that word that's used there. Not one, sometimes you look up Greek words and there's a lot of different definitions. you got to go into the lexicon so you can determine which context it's used in. This isn't one of those. It's very clear. The word wiles of the devil here literally means the cunning arts, the deceit, the craft, and the trickery. You put on the whole armor of God so that you're able to stand against the cunning arts, the deceit, the craft, and the trickery of the devil. So what is the armor of God? Verse 12. For we wrestle, this is why, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Those are real things that we battle. Verse 13, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. How are we to stand? Verse 14, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with what? Notice the first place he starts in the armor. Having your loins girt about with truth. I have a question for you. Why is truth placed about the loins? If you and I study scripture and we look in the Old Testament and even in the new some. We understand that any time, almost every time anyway, almost every time where the scripture talk about. We've heard this term, the fruit of his loins. It would speak of seed being produced by a man. It would be called the fruit of his loins. The loins represent a place of reproduction. The loins represent a place of reproduction. We must have our loins spiritually girt about with truth. If we are not rooted and grounded and girded about with truth, we will reproduce things that are not of truth. This is critical. I must be, fel- if you're teaching a Bible study, you better make sure you're in the word of God. It's the reason why we say don't just take my word for it. Don't just take Brother Flower's word for it if we're standing here on a Wednesday or Sunday. Don't take somebody else's word for it just because they said I heard. You better be in the word of God. Know what the word of God says. Our loins must be girt about with truth. And what is truth? Thy word is truth. We're standing against the walls of the devil, the desire to destroy you and I. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith. Where we already talked about where faith comes from. You could go through every part of this armor, by the way. And every part of this armor, you can trace back to the word. The shield of faith, wherewith we shall be able to quench all. Everybody say, all. All. Do you ever wish you could just quench all of the enemy's efforts against you? You ever feel like, man, I wish I could just quench all these thoughts that are bombarding my mind? It's in the Word. It's in the word. See, again, we want to make it complicated. I just don't know how. Here's how. Fellowship the word and fellowship the spirit. Fellowship the word and fellowship the spirit. You know what the deceiver does? He gets us when our minds getting bombarded and rather going fellowshipping the word and the spirit. The enemy says, well, you know, why don't you just go watch something and take your mind off of it? In other words, let me fill your mind with something else so that you're not thinking about the thought I'm bombarding your mind with. And then when your mind's distracted, I'll come bombard it again. It's the beauty of Facebook. It's a great distractor. I really don't think it's beautiful, by the way. <laughs> Finally, verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of what? What are our loins supposed to be gird about with? What's truth? The word. Take the sword of the spirit. What's the sword of the spirit? The word of God. Many of you have heard this before, but it bears repeating. The sword of the Spirit is the only thing in all of that armor that we read that is a weapon to fight with. Everything else is a covering, a protection, a giving of stability, your feet shod with peace. Everything else is a covering and a protection. This is the only weapon. It's a sword of the Spirit. And it is the word of God. It's what was given us in the beginning to withstand the efforts of the enemy. You say, I can't overcome. I don't know how. That's a deception of the enemy. You and I can. We can live and walk in victory every day of our lives. I'll say that again. We can live and walk in victory every day of our lives. You say, does that mean I'm going to feel wonderful and everything's going to be perfect and great every day? Goodness, no! That doesn't mean you're living in victory if everything's wonderful and perfect every day. Living in victory means... The enemy has no dominion over me. The enemy has no authority over me. Every day may not be perfect, but I walk in victory. I walk in authority. I walk in the calling of God upon my life. I am a child of God. I'm a child of the Most High God. How do I know this? Because the Word tells me so. Now, if you're listening to the enemy and not fellowshipping the Word and the Spirit, you're going to start believing a lie. You're going to start thinking you're not worth anything. You're going to start thinking something's wrong with you. You're going to start believing you're a failure or a mistake. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Start fellowshipping the Word and fellowshipping the Spirit. Get your mind back in tune with God. Get your spirit back in tune with God. Get your heart back in fellowship with God. Let Him wash over your spirit again. Let Him cleanse your mind, your heart, your spirit. Soul, your spirit again. Fellowship him until it's washed completely and purpose to stay in that place and walk and live in victory. This is God's design for you. He did not design you and I to live under condemnation, fear, doubt, despair, discouragement. He designed us to live and walk in victory and He made a way. Fellowship of His Spirit and His Word. Talk to Him right where you are right now. Come on. In the name of Jesus. Come on, if you're tired of being under the cloud, so does. Come on, there's some of you here. You feel like you're just under it. The Holy Ghost is wanting to help you today, the Word of God is here to help you. The living Word of God and Spirit of God is He can break those things about your mind and your heart and your spirit today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on. What does the Lord say about your situation? What does the Word of God say about the circumstance? I don't care what the doctor says or the report says or your neighbor says or your friend that's not under the influence of the Holy Ghost says. All that matters to me is what does the Spirit and the Word say? What does the Spirit and the Word say? What does the Spirit and the Word say? In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah.
1: Come on, let's keep praying for a moment. Ya satahaye yaramahaya. Yara ko sa hataya nara
0: Lord,
2: we're leaning on your strength right now. We're leaning on your word right now. We're leaning on your
1: truth right now. Iara kasata andaramahaye andara Ye andorolo sata haye. Iara kosa ta haye Ye andorolo sata Indana taye arama su,
0: I'm
2: going to try to be brief with what I feel to share here at the end. So much of what Elder Hart said is still uh, ringing. And I I, it's all true, it's all needed, it's all necessary. I want it all in my life. One of the first things that he said was when the devil is speaking, he's lying. When he's speaking, he's lying. If you if you believe that, that really ought to make your life a lot easier. If you believe it. If I know that thought, that word, that feeling, whatever it was, is not from God, then I know it's a lie. The problem is, he said he's. he's When he starts to talk to us about us. Because he might say things. That sound true to us. About us. If he if, if if, (laughs) it wouldn't be hard to 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 reject outright the devil if he's sitting. Speaking into my ear and trying to tell me how awful of a person. Anybody else in the room is. They're they're no good. They're cheaters. They're uh, I'll just dismiss that. I don't believe that for a second. But when he's saying that about me, and I can recall a time when what he's saying sounds like truth, then I've given in to that deception. Because I think what he's saying <clears throat> we'll, we'll we'll boil it down to a specific incident for for the sake of uh, of the example. There's a di- it's still there. There's a dime right here on the ground. If I picked up this dime without anybody knowing it, did that right there. Went on my way and, and then when I went to buy lunch, I was ten cents short. Oh hey, what do you know, ten cents short. And I used that. And then later, God convicted me of it, and I repented of it. And we dealt with that issue. That's, that's, not, it, that's not it. I didn't really plant this there, okay? I just happened to see it when we were up there praying. <laughs> Some of you are wondering, how did he do that? <clears throat> but if I've dealt with that issue... The Bible says, confess your faults. It says, "If if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. So if I've got that, if I'm using that example as a sin, and I've confessed that sin, and I believe that he's faithful and just to forgive me, and he forgave that sin, then it's under the blood it's dealt with. But when the liar comes and says, you're a thief, you stole something, what do we just say? When he's speaking, he's lying. But see, here I go in my mind, and I think back to the event, and replay that, Uh, yeah, that had really happened. It's true.
1: Hey,
2: is it true? If I believe that if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me of that sin, then really what I'm confessing is the consequence of that sin no longer applies spiritually to my life. There if I if I if I don't, then I'm dead in my sin. And my sin should reap and bring forth death. Because that sin is not dealt with. It's not repented of and forgiven. But I can't have it both ways and say, yeah it was, but it's also still kind of it was just You know, I did. Every time I have to remind myself and remember that I did it, and take on the feeling and the ownership and the guilt of that sin, then I'm allowing the deception to remain. I'm going to read one passage and I'm going to try to be really quick here. 2 Peter chapter 1. This Elder Hart referenced the scripture that says, if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. So this simple example that we talked about shouldn't deceive the elect. Okay, it doesn't, when it says very elect, it doesn't mean like a degree, like, well, I'm kind of elect, but he's very elect. That's, no, that's, it's just even the elect, okay, would be deceived if it were possible. If he had the power, he would deceive the elect. I felt this very specifically when I was praying for several men here. This is why I'm not just dismissing it. 2 Peter 1, I'm going to read verse 3, starting at verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. His divine power hath given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That by these, you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He's given us great promises. By those promises, or through those promises, we, what does it say, might be, he's given us the opportunity to be, Partakers of the divine nature. That doesn't sound a lot like me in my nature. I, I can't look at myself too much and say how divine I am. But he's given me the, the opportunity to be a partaker of his divine nature. having escaped the corruption that is in the world. So w- w- when Jesus, it was talking about he's in the world, that, that phrase kept coming up in a lot of the scriptures that Elder was reading, Jesus being in the world. And I'm thinking, okay, the deceivers in the world, this corruption These lies are in the world. How can Jesus be in the world and not be subject to all those things? But here we are, and we feel like we're subject to all these things. It's because I haven't become a partaker of his divine nature. If I'm allowing myself to remain subject to the things of this world. I'm going somewhere with this. Jump down to... Verse 8, for if these things, and this it's just a list of all those great promises and things that are a part of his divine nature. If these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So really, I have a choice, and this is not just a Sunday afternoon choice. It's not a church time choice. It's not a prayer time choice. It's not a time of worship choice. It is a choice all the time. 24-7, I have a choice. Am I going to allow myself to be a partaker of his divine nature because we already read and we know the things that he's done to provide us the opportunity to do it, to be a partaker? So either I can do that or I can fall into verse 9 and be a part of the blind who have forgotten that we were purged from our old sins. It's really one or the other. You can't there's no middle ground here where well I'm kind of in between because I'm I'm still walking with the Lord and we're trying to figure things out. No. It doesn't that's deception. If I feel like well I got a week to to get right, I got a day to get right, I got an hour to get right, Whatever it is, is deception, because either I am forgetting that he purged me from my old sins, or I'm choosing to be a partaker of him and his divine nature. Verse 10, wherefore, the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. This is what I felt when I was praying for so many of the men up here. And this includes myself. We have to get to a place where our calling and our election is sure. If not, we're going to be subject to this world. We're going to be subject to these things that we're talking about in the world. Every day, I should wake up remembering I'm a part of the elect. I've got a call. I want it to be sure. I'm making it sure. Every day, I'm, I'm putting forth this effort to become and make sure I'm a part Of the elect. When the scripture says if it were possible that even the very elect would be deceived. We have to know that we identify as the elect. Because of the work that he's done in our lives. Because of the opportunity he's given for us to partake of his divine nature. Now, last verse. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me. I'm going to read 10 again. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so, an entrance shall be ministered unto you. An entrance. This is is very strange and peculiar wording of the scripture here. It's not something that we, we read about often or think about or talk about often. But what we're talking about here is an entrance being provided. An entrance to what? The everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is how I get. Into his everlasting kingdom. This is the way. That he's made for us. To get into his everlasting kingdom. He's provided it. He's ministering away. Into the kingdom. And this is it. Being diligent. To make my calling. And my election sure. He's di- he, he, he did all of his part. Already. He already died on the cross. He already went through the garden. He did all those things. And now it's up to me. Am I going to make this sure? Am I going to make this calling sure? Or am I going to become part of those blind that just forget that he purged my old sins? Let's pray right now. Jesus. God, I know that you're here ministering right now. Jesus, I'm thankful for the sins, Father, that you have forgiven. In the name of Jesus, come on right now. If you need some time, take some time. Nobody's judging each other here. We want to get in right standing with the Lord. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive them. Lord, we claim it. We cling to it today. Jesus, every sin, every wrong thing, every wrong thought, Lord, every wrong word in action. Jesus, we confess those to you, God, because we see the importance in your word of being able to claim your blood applied to our lives. Jesus, to be able to claim that you have forgiven us. Jesus, and that you've made us a part of the elect you've made us a part of those who are called in Jesus name God you've provided this way into your kingdom I'm going to open this altar right now I want us to take some time the Lord has offered us and made us a part of his kingdom right now we have the opportunity to join it in the name of Jesus Lord make my calling sure Make my election sure, Lord Jesus. God, I want my life to reflect the work that you've done. I want my life, Lord Jesus, to reflect a calling that you would keep me by your grace, God. That you would keep me by your truth, Lord Jesus. Keep me by your spirit, O oh
1: God.
2: In the name of Jesus. Come on, if you've been wondering where's my place in the kingdom, how do I get? Where is my place? I want to belong. This is what the scripture talks about. He's provided the way he's ministering an entrance into the kingdom right now. Jesus, we accept it right now. We want to walk in it. Lord Jesus, we want to walk in it. Lord Jesus. I pray anointing over our minds, Jesus. Covering over our minds, Lord Jesus. The helmet of salvation right now, God. Lord, I pray let it complete its work.
1: Let it be faithful, Lord Jesus, as you are faithful. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I want to walk in your kingdom
2: every day. Jesus, I want to walk as a part of the called every day, a part of the elect
1: every day, Lord Jesus. Keep us by your word, Lord. Keep
2: us by your truth, Lord Jesus. truth prevail in our minds today. Let your truth prevail in our heart, in our spirit. God, that there would be no place given for the word of the deceiver. Jesus, that there would be no place given for the accusation. <laughs>
3: He's already provided. Everything you need, He's already provided. In the
1: name of Jesus. Lord, I walk in your kingdom. Every promise, thank you for making me a part of your kingdom.
2: Why don't we all stand and let's just pray together before we leave. Jesus, we're thankful for the work of your spirit today. We're thankful, Jesus, for the ways that you're working in our lives. Jesus, we pray right now, let us walk every day in your kingdom. Let us walk every day, God, according to the calling you've placed on us. Jesus, you've called every individual in this room right now. God, we're all a part of your elect. We're all a part of your call. We're all a part of your nation, Lord, your peculiar people that you've established. Jesus, I pray, help us to realize that as we go throughout our days. Lord, wherever we find ourselves, let us know that we're carrying the word, the truth, the spirit. The kingdom with us. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we want your truth to always prevail. We want your truth in your spirit, the word of your spirit, to always be quickened into our spirit, into our mind. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray for the parents right now of children in this room. God, I pray you help them to give them wisdom, Lord, to know that they are all a part of the kingdom. Jesus, they're all a part, every life, God, that you've placed and that you've called in this body as a part of your kingdom. We want your wisdom, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your grace and mercy that keeps us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray blessing over every family right now, God. Jesus, I pray wisdom from you as we seek God to walk in your authority, as we seek to walk in your wisdom. Jesus, I pray continue. Let your word and your promises be made sure to us. We give you thanks for it today, Lord. Hallelujah. We give you thanks today, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to let you be dismissed. Why don't you greet one another on your way?